Hello and welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I'm your host. On The Connected Generation, we explore all things legacy wealth and legacy businesses. Businesses and wealth that would outlive the founders and have sustained impact over time and over space. And we have these conversations with genuine curiosity authenticity and vulnerability. This week, I was joined by Brian Bodner, who works with BlockFi and their private client team, serving wealth management needs of high net worth individuals and single and multifamily offices. And he has an interesting journey in how he got there. He first worked at Blocktown Capital, contributing towards investment research and digital currencies, protocol tokens, and other blockchain ventures. So, we had a really interesting conversation. Like, I, I, I learned so much from him. Um, the first time we met, I learned so much from him and learned even more on the podcast. So encourage you to tune in, enjoy and share this episode with a friend. Hi, Brian, and welcome to The Connected Generation. It's awesome to have you. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, this should be fun. So you're part of the private client team at BlockFi. Can you tell us more about you and how did you get to working with BlockFi? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a probably more a more unconventional uh, path to getting to BlockFi and I guess crypto in general than probably uh, the rest of my team where uh, the global digital markets team, which is kind of the umbrella of private client, um, comes from mostly traditional banking. So a lot of Bank of America, Merrill Lynch alumni, um, Goldman Sachs, et cetera. Myself, uh, I did not come from the traditional finance space. So I came at it from a different angle where I actually started my career doing something completely different um, in forecasting and data analysis in the corporate fashion world. Um, really? And I guess, well, yes, yes. So uh, cool. it's been a long, strange journey. Um, mm. I first heard about Bitcoin uh, pretty early on in 2010 or 2011. Um, and I had a friend of mine who had some uh, crazy ideas. He was an Israeli guy in college. And uh, a lot of the ideas were a bit out there. But one of them was a really great idea that we should all buy Bitcoin. Um, unfortunately, didn't take it seriously at the time. But uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, it worked out quite well for him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And... Uh, and as, as the years went on, I, uh, again, I started my career doing something separately. Uh, but I kept tabs on Bitcoin because of my friend there. And then so in 2016 or so, when the uh, market started kind of perking back up a bit, I had some of my own money saved up and um, decided to get some skin in the game. Uh, decided it was time to uh, just kind of dive in. So I put a little bit in and then quickly kind of once I had that sort of proverbial skin in the game, I dove really, really deep into kind of just researching in my free time. Uh, what is the principles of sound money? What is the history of money? Uh, how do all these organizations like the IMF, the Fed, the World Bank, how does this all actually work? Um, mm. And it's, just, it's a bunch of, it's a topic I just never really put a ton of thought into before. Um, mm. And once I really got in the weeds of it, researching it, uh, I became kind of ideologically aligned with sort of the ethos of the space. Um, and thought that it just fixed a lot of the sort of inefficiencies of how the world works today. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess even back then. Um, and it also just seemed like a great time to sort of participate in something that was very sort of nascent and had an opportunity to really make a mark on something that at the time I felt and still do believe uh, will change the world. So from that point, 
I started doing research. Well, I guess I, at that point, I decided to sort of, again, myself to pivoting into this space, um, mm. which led me to go to grad school to get my master's from Columbia, um, international finance and economic policy. Uh, and then while I was in school, I was able to secure a role um, from a Columbia alumnus who had a fund that was focused specifically on the digital asset ecosystem called Blocktown Capital. Uh, and so from there, uh, that was my first sort of professional experience in the space, um, kind of researching different digital currencies, protocol tokens, just digital assets in general. Um, mm. And then from there, I was able to meet a colleague of mine who was early at BlockFi uh, and joined um, now almost two and a half years ago. Um, and yeah, I guess so that kind of segues into private client where that didn't exist really in the crypto space at all. Um, mm. And mm. so we as a team, um, while I started off doing more on the institutional side with hedge funds, market makers, prop trading firms, et cetera, um, as we kind of grew out and got bigger and our clients pay, our clients uh, base started expanding, there is a whole kind of servicing the family office and ultra high net worth group. So um, I kind of fell into that uh, just by chance. Um, and I sort of kind of really had a, I, I took a liking to it and really enjoyed kind of these types of conversations and the types of people I was meeting. Um, and so I sort of ran with it and uh, built out from scratch uh, the private client unit. And uh, we've obviously grown a bit today where now we have coverage around the world. Uh, our kind of our employee base is bigger. Who's covering this uh, in parts of the world. And obviously our, client base is much bigger with um, our now current AUM for private clients specifically, which is again, the family office unit, uh, depending on prices on a given day, somewhere around like 3 billion or so. Wow. I remember when we met, uh, I, this whole world of like crypto, I need to really learn more. And you recommended a book, Bitcoin Standard. Um, yes. I still haven't, I still ha- I've bought it. I haven't, I haven't read it yet, but can you just, just thinking through this audience of family, you know, family businesses, family offices, high net worth investors, what are the benefits that crypto provides for this group? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So just touching briefly on that book a little bit, which again, for any listeners out there, uh, would highly recommend. Uh, so that book is specifically focused on Bitcoin and not any of the other sort of kind of emerging trends in the crypto ecosystem. Um, but I think it's a really important place to start because I do think that, um, there's probably the highest degree of certainty that Bitcoin will be a kind of part of the global economy moving forward. Um, And it all kind of boils down to what Bitcoin first created. Um, And people have kind of made different trade-offs with building different sort of protocols and platforms. Um, But again, Bitcoin is a really kind of core part of this ecosystem. So I think it's really crucial to start there. And the author of that is a former, ironically, uh, Columbia professor of economics. Um, And he goes into a lot of kind of what I touched on earlier with kind of the history of money and kind of how it's impacted things outside, like the kind of second order effects of how money has been operated through time. And um, mm. then kind of goes into how Bitcoin sort of solves a lot of those issues. Um, so for anyone out there, highly, highly recommend that before um, looking deeper into Bitcoin investing uh, or any sort of other sort of asset classes within the kind of growing crypto ecosystem. But yeah, in terms of why crypto, why now um, mm. to sort of is it, um, analogize it um <laughs> it is, uh, it's kind of like the toothpaste is out of the out of the tube so to speak it's not going to go back in so it's like you kind of look at mm. you kind of look right. at what's happening around the world um and if you look at payment processors like paypal or venmo they're kind of mm-hmm. going all in on it you look at kind of just general corporations like facebook 
um, who have taken a kind of all in approach and kind of rebrand to meta as a sort of, again, not really Bitcoin related, but sort of building out their sort of kind of strategies, which is related to this, even all the way up to nation states, where you have El Salvador adopting as legal tender. And most recently, uh, with the conflict over in Ukraine and Russia, uh, mm-hmm. you had literally the Ukrainian government tweeting out Bitcoin and Ethereum addresses, fielding donations, because it was the best way for them to kind of source capital in a kind of quick, efficient way. Um, mm-hmm. And so when you kind of realize that, take a step back and think that a government in a time of crisis is leaning on these protocols, um, you kind of realize how far this whole thing has come. And yes, there's obviously a lot of sort of things with surrounding like Bitcoins that can serve as a store of value, an inflation mm-hmm. head, uh, portfolio diversifier, all these things for kind of like the micro aspect of sort of what it can do for you. Um, but you kind of look at a, just the high level picture of the things that have taken place around it. Um, and I think it is kind of evident at this point that we're not going to go back in time now and it's not going to go away. It's the, the adoption is only sort of kind of real increase and it's kind of that steepening curve. Of, I feel like it feels like adoption curves uh, of different things. It's just only getting steeper and steeper uh, when you look at kind of how it's sort of manifested today. The toothpaste is out of the tube. That's still like, that's the imagery that's in my mind. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and I think like, as an investor, there's always like this FOMO, this fear of missing out. But at the yes. same time, you've got like this fear of missing out, whatever it is, whatever's the hot button at the moment, the hot topic at the moment. But then there's often like this kind of like, okay, how do I actually get started? And like hesitancy. And just wanted to know from your perspective, like when you're meeting your clients, what typical kind of challenges that they face when they're considering investing? Like what what is it that's keeping them from taking the leap, so to speak? Yeah, it's a great question. So first off, I guess there's kind of bifurcated two types of clients that we see at BlockFi. Mm-hmm. So one of which is kind of like a, let's say multi-generational sort of family office, made their money a long time ago doing something completely unrelated to the space or financial mm-hmm. services or anything like that. Um, so they kind of say, like, hey, this seems interesting. This seems interesting. It's really cool. Um, I kind of want to know more about it, but I don't really know where to start or kind of what is interesting. Mm-hmm. The other group, which is obviously quite different, is there could be someone who just made the right bet uh, five, ten years ago and now is sitting on nine figures of sort of crypto wealth. And obviously, they're sort of much more sort of native to the ecosystem. And they're much more sort of eager to sort of do different types of strategies. But again, going back to the, mm-hmm. the family office, let's say, who um, is not in that world, they don't really know where to start in terms of even evaluate. Like they don't know how to even value it. So like they yeah. might say like, look, maybe we're more interested in kind of betting on a infrastructure play of some company who's building the space because we know how to value a company, but we don't know how to just make a model surrounding what the value of Bitcoin or ETH or mm-hmm. some other token of the week is. Um, so that's a big part of it for sure. Another piece of it is, um, is the security aspect. So custody is a huge thing where, um, they want to make sure their assets are safe. They want to know mm. that they can kind of know where it is. They're taking some sort of um, counterparty risk to either a company like BlockFi or others who they might choose to um, leave their assets with. So that's a big part of it. Mm. Um, certain things involving credit risk in terms of whatever certain type of strategies they might like to use. Um, like, for example, one of our really popular products for families first starting out is surrounding interest-bearing accounts. So obviously, um, rates are super low in traditional finance uh, circles today. Uh, so finding kind of 
sources of yield is really, really appealing. So, mm -hmm. so BlockFi, for example, right now, depending on kind of the structure you do, you could earn in the ballpark of nine, nine and a half percent on dollars that are converted to stable coin. Um, and we can kind of touch on what stable coins are if that's interesting, but basically it's sort of like a dollar pegged uh, digital currency that mm -hmm. basically trade one for one um, and earn nine and nine and a half percent. So when you're looking at kind of like the the recent sort of inflation rates of 7.9%, that's pretty tough to beat. That's obviously really appealing. But then you kind of are taking again the stance where if you're putting 10, 20, 100, et cetera, million uh, with a company like BlockFi or others where they've only existed for, at BlockFi has been around for five years, many companies less than that. Mm. Um, you're taking a lot of sort of credit risk by effectively making an unsecured loan to those people or those entities rather uh, to earn that yield. So, there's a whole bunch of questions around security, counter counterparty risk, credit risk, um, mm -hmm. and also if they want to make investments into the actual currencies, into other sort of currencies themselves, how do they value it? So those are the big mm -hmm. things that people harp on. And again, we feel we have kind of all those areas covered where with the backgrounds of the team that we have in place to address those security concerns, kind of, again, without offering explicit advice, kind of different framework, how we sort of as a company view different assets. Um, and kind of based on what their preferences are, what those, what different strategies we can offer. Mm -hmm. So for the former example that you posed, like the more traditional, so to speak, and is um, still quite hesitant, like what tips do you have for them in terms of how they can mitigate those risks that you, or those challenges that they foresee? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the key thing is education, I think always. Um, it's tough to really do anything with conviction um, without having, especially, I guess, in a market like this where it tends to be volatile and you can have uh, intraday swings of minus 10, 15, 20%, sometimes more. Uh, in, mm -hmm. cer in certain crazy periods, we've seen as much as like 50% swings. Um, and so, yeah, to kind of stomach those sort of that volatility, you really, and that all kind of boils down to the educational aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So, what that comes with, again, we have resources like a book, like that book, The Bitcoin Standard. We put out our own research that uh, clients find very helpful. Um, and again, anyone listening, whoever wants to access that sort of research, um, we can always sort of make that happen. And on top of that, I think a really key thing, too, is just sort of testing that a little bit. So we'll have clients start with maybe 10K, whatever they're comfortable with, 50K, 100K. Um, and they'll just sort of play around with the platform. They'll see what it looks like to kind of have a digital wallet, kind of move funds around, um, mm. use Public ad, use their public address to receive more assets and kind of send it somewhere else. Um, if they're using interest account, see it come in. Um, and we tend to find that sort of once clients get used to holding these assets and kind of watching it day to day, um, mm. extremely, extremely rare do they ever say, never mind, not for me. Um, it tends to be that they sort of build that con that conviction where it, se it seems just kind of opaque and sort of scary when they just don't, it's something they've never done before or dealt with before. Um, mm -hmm. And I think just kind of, again, playing around with it and sort of just getting that comfortability with it um, is really, really useful. And again, we have different products that can kind of service different needs that they might have, uh, which can kind of help to build that conviction as well. So maybe they want to use this collateral to sort of um, get liquidity off it, which can service different needs that they currently have. Like, so it fills a legit, rather beyond an investment, uh, it fills a particular need they have. Um, maybe that's, again, on the interest-bearing account. Um, 
it feels a particular need was sort of like finding a way to sort of beat inflation with fixed income type products. Um, and so a lot of times, again, once they sort of get their hands in the weed, so to speak, they'll realize that mm-hmm. um, beyond just kind of buying it, letting it sit there, which is something that many people do. And, and again, can serve a great purpose. Um, it feels a much more sort of at hand need that they didn't even realize they had. Question. Um, NFTs, are they crypto or they are? I'm... <laughs> are they crypto, you said? Yeah. And do you guys um, provide access to NFTs? Sure. So we don't provide access to, we, we don't, we don't touch that yet. Um, that's certainly is something to change. Um, it uses the same type of infrastructure and technology to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so like mm-hmm. you'll have NFTs built um, on like the Ethereum blockchain, for example, or the Solana blockchain. Um, I would say sort of the the purpose for them and kind of the way you should view them is entirely different than something like Bitcoin, for example. Um, okay. Again, whereas Bitcoin is looking to sort of um, be a digital money, um, something like a board ape is certainly not trying to fill that void. Um, and I think that the way, again, this is my own personal view. I think that the way NMTs exist today, like from the outside looking in might look a little silly seeing like a cartoon of an ape selling ape. for like a million dollars or so. It's, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, especially when you see like there's certain things on uh, like Twitter or other places will show a side by side of like a picture of like a cartoon monkey and then like a mansion on the water. And they'll be like, which would you rather? And I'll have like, the same price tag. Yep. <laughs> Um, which can really kind of contextualize it. But um, I think that the way that NFTs exist today is kind of really just in its infancy stages where there's a lot of applications that it can be used for that is not really kind of what's sort of front and center right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And even with kind of, even with you take like a, let's say a board ape or a crypto punk or something right now, where it's sort of just a, it's a, what's called a PFP, a profile picture. Um, And it's just a picture that seemingly sits there. But there's a lot of things that, um, and it's actually, I guess, very top of because Yuga Labs, who is the company that um, actually just bought CryptoPunks, they apes. Um, they just raised a, I can't remember the number exactly. It was like a four billion dollar seed round or something like that. Wow. Um, yeah, and so basically, there's going to be a lot of applications that can kind of be built into this community that they built. Um, so while it looks probably insane on paper. I think that there will be a lot of kind of things that are built on top of this sort of rabid community that they've mm. built. Um, so yes, right now it's a picture that sits there and you kind of have the, I guess you're in the, the key thing here that I guess NFT owners will kind of preach as well is that you're buying like the, the token. You're not necessarily buying the picture, like the, to, like the, what's it, what's more interesting than the actual picture itself is the token that kind of proves the ownership of it. Um, mm. This is getting away. From, I think we're, we're going off on a tangent a little bit, but yes, point being is it is tangentially related to crypto, but has an entirely different sort of purpose than something like Bitcoin. I think I get it. So cryptocurrency is literally just um, a digital currency, whereas NFTs typically apply to like artwork, right? Music and tokenizing, right? Well, for now, tokenized is different from non-fungible secure. Yeah, sorry, you were saying? So, yeah, so there's a couple caveats in that that I would say is one is, I mean, yeah, some people are, some other current, some other kind of digital cryptocurrencies are trying to compete with Bitcoin. In Brian Bodner's opinion, um, Bitcoin has kind <laughs> of sort of 
won that won that battle. And the vast majority mm-hmm. of cryptocurrencies is kind of a misnomer at this point where they're not really trying to be money. They're trying to serve some other purpose. So if you look at like a, a popular one is Solana, which is they're not really trying to be a currency, so to speak. They're trying to be a platform that a bunch of other things are built on. Um, and yes, this can kind of serve as could serve as gas fees in the network or you can pay for things in the network, but it's not it's not trying to be like a global reserve currency, I I think at yeah. least Bitcoin yeah. is. But yeah. an analogy that someone made one time that I kinda like, uh it kind of I guess encapsulates everything I think is like Bitcoin is kind of like or you can even say money. Um like digital like in, a, in a future digital world, mm. something like Bitcoin is the money and NFTs are kind of like everything else. Um mm. so like NFTs can allow you to kind of in a future digital world have any type of asset that is sort of proven ownership in a digital world so it can be right now it's been art it's been music um you're starting to see some other kind of applications for it um a big thing that's kind of coming up right now is using it for like in-game ownership um for like kind of Mm -hmm. like it sounds like probably crazy as well but these digital games um People are starting That's to huge own right now, apparently. Like, yeah, very big, yeah, very big, mm. especially in uh, East Asia. Um, there's mm. something called Axie Infinity that's gotten really popular there, particularly. Um, we're actually, I think, like, I, I, I can't remember the exact percentage off the top of my head, but a big, like, a very sizable double digit percentage of the entire economy of the Philippines is now kind of sustaining itself because people are kind of leaving their jobs and playing this game for money. Um, wow. Uh, so yeah, it's having some pretty big sort of societal impacts in certain regions. Um, so yes, point being is NFTs can kind of provide in the future a whole bunch of different applications to sort of of different things in a digital world. Amazing. And you mentioned stablecoin and passing. Can you tell us more? About yes. That? Yeah. So that's something that we as a company are very kind of bullish on and uh, is a big part of what we do. Um, so a stable coin is again i kind of touched on this earlier but it's effectively if you really boil it down just a one-to-one peg to the us dollar and i guess technically you could have there's other ones that are out there as well like we have one like pax gold which is pegged to um which is pegged to the value of gold there's some euro stable coins etc but really the most popular liquidity behind it are uh the us dollars uh stable coins so some people listening might have heard of tether or um, USDC, or uh, another popular one that's coming about right now is UST. Um, probably all start to sound the same a little bit. But um, yes, point being is that we support a bunch of them on our platform. Um, mm-hmm. We do treat USDC, GUSD, and PAX um, a little bit. They, so we treat those as true one-to-one for the dollar. Someone can wire us a million dollars, and they'll get a million worth of stablecoin in their account. Um, and when they wire it out, they can they will get a million dollars back in their bank account. So it's truly one to one internally and externally from how we operate. Um, we do treat um, as a company um, tether a little bit differently, um, where there will be a slight spread between the dollar and tether, for example. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, point being is that these are ways that people around the world with border there's no borders, there's no sort of friction. Uh, instead of going to your bank and sending a wire that might take a few days to get there. Um, you can send money to anyone, anywhere with the click of a button. And because of some of these natural kind of dislocations between the crypto ecosystem and traditional finance, uh, especially like banking, Hmm. 
created uh, these capital markets where companies like BlockFi can really fill that void um, and not only service loans to people in the crypto world who want to use crypto as collateral, but because mm -hmm. there's sort of more limited access to capital in this space, loans, the rates on the loan be higher. But conversely, if you want to earn interest on these stable coins, you could earn really, really compelling rates like, like ones I mentioned earlier. So that's this has honestly been the kind of biggest sort of We'll, we'll call it a gateway drug um, into the crypto ecosystem where people feel more comfortable kind of hold something that looks and feels like a dollar um, and earning these. And again, it, it's digital. So they'll kind of get used to having these digital wallets and sending digital money to these public addresses, et cetera. And then that mm -hmm. makes them feel more comfortable than to kind of take that next step and then kind of maybe buy Bitcoin or something else. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's really, really powerful, uh, especially in parts of the world that don't have, as easy access to dollars um, where they really want it, like in these Latin American countries like Argentina, et cetera. Um, so really, really powerful um, and really great for family offices too, who want to take, take advantage of these really high yields. Amazing. So tell me more about BlockFi and what you do and how you're different from others in the market. Yeah, absolutely. So BlockFi at its core is really a wealth management platform. Um, for people who are in, interested in the crypto ecosystem. So there's different levels to that where we provide services for general retail. Um, so anybody who wants to put as much as a, as little as like a few cents in their account can access um, interest accounts as well, trading, loan. Well, there's certain limits for loans, uh, certain minimums. But yeah, so we have retail offerings. Um, we have institutional offerings uh, where we service, again, sort of, prime brokerage type services for hedge funds, market makers, prop trading firms, uh, et cetera, for both kind of traditional, we have a bunch of tra traditional clients, um, sort of household mm -hmm. traditional names, as well as servicing crypto native as well. Um, and then where I specifically sit with a private client is again, we offer a whole bunch of services. I guess there's really four main pillars if you want to break it down is we offer um, interest accounts, lending, trading, uh, asset management solutions. And I guess if you want to throw in recently, uh, we offer credit card service as well, where we have the world's first sort of uh, crypto rewards credit card. Um, so yeah, we have 24 seven around the clock service for our family offices. Um, and with the exception of myself, uh, the rest of the team is all sort of comes from the traditional private wealth world. Uh, so we really catered our services to feel and look like what they're used to, like what our clients are used to. Um, where it's white glove bespoke. Um, and yeah, it, we're, we're really aiming to be the bridge between traditional finance and crypto. And so we're sort of sitting in that middle ground where again, the products look like what people are used to seeing from traditional financial firms, but with a crypto bent around it. And mm -hmm. curious, what do you think the future of this space will look like? It's a great question. It's a great question. So one of the big sort of themes of this past year has been sort of the regulatory landscape. Um, I was going to ask you, like, what is that going to look like? Yeah. And um, mm. it's tough to say with a, like, I, I don't have a crystal ball to sort of look like to say, uh, this is exactly what it's going to be. Um, but we as a company and our uh, compliance and legal team and leadership are like all very engaged um, with regulatory buys and uh, kind of trying to, and there's certain, uh, there's certain organizations of kind of, 
of a bunch of crypto companies that work together uh, to sort of help guide us in the right direction as well. Uh, but the point being is I think what we've seen both in the U.S. Um, and internationally is a lot of positive steps um, mm-hmm. in the right direction where we kind of we affirm uh, one welcome regulatory frameworks for us to kind of operate within. Um, it's just important, obviously, that it kind of is built with sort of the right mind towards it, where a lot of these people were kind of making these um, making these policies up until a couple of years ago, maybe haven't thought about it too much. Um, so kind of making sure that the nuances are really understood in terms of how it's built is important. So in terms of where is it going, um, I think it's a, it's a given that there's going to be more regulation is one. Mm-hmm. Um, we're pretty hopeful and I guess um, these policies. And again, I, it's actually worth mentioning that uh, President Biden uh, earlier this year actually made a announcement kind of basically basically providing insight to how he and his um, his team are looking at sort of building on these policies. And basically what, mm-hmm. the, what the overall message was is that they want the innovation to happen here in the U.S., which is great. Um, they just want to make sure that the kind of scammers and bad actors who are out there, which in the crypto world, there are certainly no shortage of those, which is unfortunate. Uh, he wants to make sure that those types of entities don't flourish, which is great for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there will be more sort of regulatory oversight. I think there will eventually be sort of more securitized offerings that people can take advantage of like they're used to. Um, so one of the big sort of sticking points um, in the crypto world has been a Bitcoin spot-based ETF, uh, for example, where right now there's a futures-based ETF, uh, but there is no such spot-based ETF. It exists in Canada, for example, and a bunch of other sort of um, jurisdictions around the world, but there is no US-based uh, product like that. So I think getting a lot of getting that type of product where RIAs, family offices, et cetera, can kind of have these types of products that they're used to rather than having to figure out how to buy the Bitcoin themselves, manage their private keys, all these types of logistics that kind of go into their hesitation to buying in the first place. Um, Mm. I think that will be a very big sort of boon for the ecosystem. Um, And I'm, I'm pretty confident, I guess, personally that we'll get there again, who knows what will happen, but I think that's where we're going. I think that right now a big sort of thing is DeFi. Um, and I think a lot of it is promising, uh, but there's certainly a lot of applications that are sort of what's become known as uh, Dino or Dino, depending on how people pronounce it, I guess, uh, which stands for decentralized in name only, where they sort of market themselves as a decentralized sort of platform um, when really they're not. Um, so I think that there will be some growth in the DeFi space and some mat- and some maturation there, um, where you're going to start to see some really cool products um, that open up a lot of opportunity. Um, that didn't really one for people who don't have access to traditional uh, financial services today, and also even for people who do different types of products that never really existed before. So maybe things like um, different types of fractionalized ownership or um, on-chain. Um, Let's say, let's say, for example, like you can, there's something called staking for different protocols right now, um, which already exists, um, different type of sort of fixed income-ish product. Um, there's a whole bunch of different opportunities that the DeFi world can open up. Right now, there's a lot of firms that, again, market themselves in a way that might not really be um, as they appear. But I think that with that, with the sort of maturation of that, um, and probably with the regulatory components sort of cracking down on the ones who aren't acting in the best faith, I think that's going to be a, a huge opportunity moving forward. Thank you. This has been super educational. And like for me, breaking down this whole world, like 
into digestible, relatable, actionable advice. And I'm I'm still going to read that book. But if anyone would like to get hold of you and learn more about BlockFi and you, how best can they reach you? Yeah. So I guess the best way would be probably email. So uh, Brian at BlockFi.com. That's B-R-Y-A-N at BlockFi, B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Um, for anyone out there who's possibly on Telegram, which is a really popular messaging service in the crypto world, um, you can find me at um, BlockFi underscore Brian. Um, and yeah, we'd love to talk. Um, obviously, like I mentioned earlier, we have a whole bunch of bespoke customized products for our family office beyond kind of what's publicly available. Um, and we'd love to chat and just kind of help you learn more. Thank you so much, Brian. Absolutely. It was an absolute pleasure, Nikkei, and hopefully we can uh, see each other again soon in person. Yeah, that would be nice. Talk soon. Take care. Wow, that was truly meaty and educational. And what was really on my mind as Brian was talking was how can we break into the new and the novel? Because it's it's easy to keep hearing this content, right, on like Bitcoin and digital currencies and blockchain opportunities, but... I know for a fact amongst my friends and my community, a lot of people are still kind of yet to dip their toes into this world. Um, And in economics, we term this as the familiarity bias. And it is defined as associated with a general sense of comfort with the known and discomfort or even distaste for and fear of the alien and distant. And so for a lot of folks, this whole world is scary. <laughs> Literally, it's alien, it's distant, it's not known, it's uncomfortable. And how can we break away from that? And I think the important thing is to educate. So start with education. And as um, Brian mentioned, he recommended the Bitcoin Standard as a really good book to read, but also listening to podcasts and, and things like that. I also think educating in community is great. So joining communities or folks that are also on a similar journey to you that are trying to learn about this would be super helpful. And, you know, because when we learn in community, it, it you, you just, you go so much further with your learning um, because you're able to bounce ideas off each other. You're able to give each other practical help and what have you. And then lastly, as Brian kind of alluded to, you just have to start and you don't have to start with ridiculous amounts. You can start with amounts that you would not lose sleep over if you were to essentially um, were to tank. Right. So start small and begin to experiment and dip your toes into it. Get familiar with the different types of currencies, NFTs, blockchain, etc. And that's about all my wisdom for you. <laughs> and if you need more information, I would recommend getting in touch with someone like Brian, who is well-versed in this and really understands it more than, more than me. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think overcoming the familiarity bias is, is something we should all work on. And the interesting thing is it's it's worsened in times of stress, right? So at a time where there's so much disruption in the economy, in our lives and things, your emotional need for the novel and the known is higher. And this fear of the alien and the distance is also much greater. So having an understanding of that, 
that this is a normal thing is really rooted in psychology more than anything i think showing yourself just allowing grace for that is really important to be able to move on to the practical steps and educating and joining communities and starting small so thank you so much for tuning in take good care and god bless you